Good evening and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. If you were looking forward to hearing about cryptocurrency, recent events have overtaken us. We will bring you that program next week. But after two accidental deaths in long-term care facilities in as many weeks at two different Bay Area facilities, it seems only appropriate that we stop to revisit this important issue. After all, we place great trust in long-term care facilities to take care of very vulnerable people. How can we be good, good, how can we be good consumers and assure the care our loved ones or even ourselves will receive is all that it should be. Tonight, we look to nursing homes and assisted care facilities. As always, we want you to be with us, our most important guest, and we want you to be a part of this conversation. So give us a call at 415-841-4134. Again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, you can call us toll-free at 866 866- Seven, this is a rebroadcast, so we can't take your calls this evening. That's 866-798-8255. But bear in mind that just as a physician won't diagnose your family member based on a phone call, our attorney guest cannot provide you precise legal advice as they lack all the facts relating to a given case. However, they're happy to pass along the legal principles to assist in your decision-making. And while legal guidance mightn't be the positions of their employers or their clients, our attorney guests are here to help. We welcome your calls about this important topic, and you're not limited to the exact point we may be in our conversation. So tonight, with us tonight, for some 16 years, Anthony Chicatel has worked for California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform, known as CANR. His primary work is to promote the rights of residents in long-term care facilities, whether it be through litigation, legislation, regulatory policy, and consumer education. Tony focuses on areas including civil rights, eviction defense, dementia care, incapacity and decision-making, conservatorship, and end-of-life care. Tony, welcome to your legal rights. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, before we go further, I'd like to start with the real basic. Um, Tell us a little bit about what is a nursing home in California and perhaps what's an assisted living facility and how do they differ and perhaps uh, what consumers or families ought to know? Okay, we'll start with the basics. Uh, A nursing home is most fundamentally distinct by its nursing presence. uh, To be a nursing home, you have to have a licensed nurse in the building 24 hours a day. That's distinct from assisted living facilities where there's no requirement for any nurse presence. Some, some facilities, some assisted living facilities do have a nurse presence, but it's, it's not mandated. Um, nursing homes are medical facilities. They're healthcare. They're licensed as healthcare facilities. And there's uh, more staff. There's higher needs for the residents than assisted living. And typically, nursing homes are identified by a bifurcation of their residents into two categories. There's there's the short-term rehabilitation residents who still have potential unrealized potential to improve. I mean, they 
They've got a, had a short-term setback with their health. The expectation is that they will improve over the next couple of weeks or a couple of months with physical therapy, occupational therapy, sometimes speech therapy. That's like will... your person that had an orthopedic injury or surgery. Right. Uh, a broken bone, a stroke, those kinds of things. And there's a recovery. The nursing home assists with that recovery, and then the, the resident moves on. And then there's a second kind of resident that's probably there for a much longer time, maybe for the rest of their life. They're known as custodial care residents, and they typically have a chronic condition that's uh, going to continue to get worse over time and, and probably lead to their death. On the assisted living side, they're not health facilities. They're not licensed as health facilities. They are uh, under a state-guided social model of care. So the idea is that a bunch of residents with some needs will live together and benefit from the socialization. I think the economy of scale of, of having um, lots of people living with them and all getting care. Most assisted living facilities are focused on what we call activities of daily living, you know, helping people get themselves out of bed, get themselves dressed, brush their teeth, get groomed, uh, assistance with meals and toileting, things like that. And assisted living has really focused, I think, over the last 20 years or so, and increasingly so, on the dementia care provision. Uh, so they, a lot of facilities brand themselves as memory care centers or dementia care centers. So you'll see a lot of marketing around that. So I think the big biggest difference between the two models, besides the level of care and, and what kinds of residents live there, is the payment source. So nursing homes are primarily paid through taxpayer dollars, through Medicare or Medi-Cal. Uh, that comprises probably over 90% of the nursing home revenue. In assisted living, it's virtually all private pay. There's some uh, government assistance for assisted living, but it's very small compared to the private pay. Uh, so most of the assisted living is paid for out of pocket by the residents themselves. And I think that leads to some differences in terms of the quality of care. I think that generally speaking, very broadly speaking, assisted living facilities tend to be a little more responsive to resident needs and nursing homes because the residents are controlling the payments. Um, one other way I think what would be good for people to know how to identify what's a nursing home or assisted living facility without having to look the facility up and see what their license is, is the name of the facility. So nursing homes, you'll see the term rehab, rehabilitation in the title, or wellness, or nursing, or health care. Uh, but in an assisted living facility, you'll see see different words in the title like senior living or assisted living or house or home. Uh, so if you need, normally when someone calls me about a facility, all I got to do is hear the name and I can tell you probably with 98% accuracy if it's assisted living or a nursing home. So do these care facilities report to anybody? I mean, ultimately the question, who's looking? Who's watching these? Yeah, there's people looking. I would say there's Quite a few people looking, but not all that often. So nursing homes are regulated and overseen by the Department of Public Health and the, the State Department of Public Health. And they really have two functions. One is their state enforcement authority, which comes from the fact that every nursing home has to have a license, and that's a state-based uh, license. And then they're also playing a federal role, the federal government contracts with the state of California to do federal enforcement of the federal rules. 
that come through that are allowed because there's so much federal funding through Medicare and Medi-Cal programs. So they're also performing this sort of federal oversight function. Uh, in assisted living, it's the Department of Social Services that regulates and, and uh, observes care provided in the facilities. And then in addition to those government agencies, there every county has a state or has a long-term care ombudsman program that's made up primarily of volunteers and some paid staff that send uh, advocates into the facilities to advocate for the residents who are having some dissatisfaction with their care. And then increasingly, which I think is good news, the state attorney general and county district attorneys, and in some cases, city attorneys, have been focused on the provision of care and long-term care facilities. So they're also taking a look at the care that's being delivered. Tell us a little bit about how these facilities are run. Who runs them? So in nursing homes and assisted living, you'll see some variation here. Uh, Some owners are for-profits. The majority of owners are for-profits, but there's some nonprofit presence in both kinds of facilities. Um, In both kinds of facilities, you'll see mom-and-pop homes where it's a single nursing home that's been owned by the same family for 20, 30 years, and that's the only nursing home they run. And, and Or you can see, conversely, a nursing home that's part of a 100 nursing home chain. Just in the state of California, we have nursing homes where there's 50 or 60, up to 100 nursing homes in that single chain. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of variation. But ultimately, they're run by people, and, and people with varying degrees of concern about the residents versus the bottom line. So some operators and owners are clearly focused on revenue and profit as their primary goal. And other, other owner operators are primarily focused on the quality of care that they're providing. We talked a little bit about nursing homes. We talked about other types of assisted living. Where do board and care facilities fit in? So board and care, that's a good question. Board and care facilities are part of the assisted living model in California. So I mentioned in nursing homes, you have a bifurcation of resident types. Assisted living is really identifiable by the bifurcation of the building types. Uh, you have these large assisted living communities uh, that look like apartment buildings with maybe 200, 300 residents in those buildings. Uh, but the, the predominant model in assisted living in terms of the number of licenses is in the small boarding care model where you've got their single family dwellings, maybe three or four bedrooms, and you've got up to six residents in those buildings. There's about somewhere around 8,000 assisted living facilities in California, and the, the vast majority of them are the small boarding cares. But because the assisted, the larger assisted living models are so big, most of the residents are in assisted living, even though most of the buildings are small boarding cares. So it wasn't that long ago, only you know, four or five years ago, people went into various types of senior retirement communities or assisted care, skilled nursing facilities in their later years. We didn't hear a whole lot about them per se. It seems that in the last few years, whether it's with COVID or now with some recent accidents, we're suddenly seeing them hit the news, hit the front page of the papers. What's all changed? Well, I think two things changed. Uh, obviously, the pandemic was a 
a huge news event. I, it seemed sort of like the apocalypse from my perspective. Um, there was so many horrible unknowns and challenges in long-term care in March and April of 2020 that we were dealing with. It was just, it was a lot. And then news coming out in the subsequent months of you know massive outbreaks in especially in nursing homes that had been ill-equipped to handle a pandemic where they had had prior infection control violations. We saw a lot of relationship between facilities with bad track records and big COVID outbreaks and, and lots of COVID deaths. So the pandemic shined, certainly shined a light on the provision of long-term care in California and throughout the United States. And it, and what we saw wasn't too great. Um, I think the second thing that's happened in the last, I'd say four or five years is the baby boomers are going into long-term care facilities now. And that's, I think that's driven up demand and awareness and certainly has, has raised the media's interest in these facilities because there's more readers that are interested, more listeners interested in what's going on in long-term care facilities because we've got the boomers who are going in with lots of concerns and then their children or their relatives who are um, having to educate themselves on what what to do and, and how to identify good places. You know, one of the questions I asked the last time we covered this program is how dependent adults or their families pay for these facilities? Um, and how does that impact their options for people and their families? I mean, can't they just take Aunt Millie to stay at home? Yeah, well, um, especially since the pandemic, we've been advising more and more people to try to keep Aunt Millie at home, if at all possible. And there's a number of reasons for that. One, it's safer from COVID, generally speaking, but also, and I, I can't say this enough, I can't emphasize it enough, pound for pound, you're just going to get better care from the people who love you than the people who are paid to care for you. Um, so the closer you can be to the people that love you and the more active a role they can take in providing your care, I think the better off most people are going to be. Um, Long-term care is very expensive, generally speaking. Um, I spoke with a family yesterday who is paying $950 a day for nursing home care. It's almost $1,000 a day they're paying for long-term care uh, in a nursing home. Um, but generally speaking, most people don't go out of pocket for nursing homes. They pay; It's paid for through Medicare or Medi-Cal. Uh, and people on Medic who have Medi-Cal, that usually pays for the long-term. Medicare will only cover up to 100 days, and it's usually significantly shorter than that. So you're going to get a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, Medicare coverage. If you go on to Me- if you qualify for Medi-Cal, which we have some new rules about Medi-Cal assets that allow more people to qualify for Medi-Cal in nursing homes, and you stay longer, you have to pay a copay. It's called your share of cost. So there, there will be some out-of-pocket costs for most Medi-Cal recipients. Assisted living, as I mentioned before, is nearly all private pay. Um, so you're going to have, if you need assisted living, you're generally going to have to pay for it yourself or have your family members contribute to get those costs covered. And then there's a series of in-home care options, some government assistance there through the in-home supportive services program. Uh, there's an adult day, uh, adult day program called CBAS, CBAS, Community-Based Adult Services, where uh, people with long-term care needs can be transported to a center uh, up to five days a week for some out-of-home out of, out of home care, uh, socialization, and 
and other services like that. So there are some public funded in-home services available to folks. And then of course, what I think the majority of it is out of pocket or provided by family and friends. So uh, taking a very long answer and trying to condense it onto how you pay for care, uh, generally there's lots of different ways to pay for care and it's very complicated. And, um, uh, but the, what we recommend for most people is, is to exhaust those in-home care options first because they're usually, in terms of quality of life, the best care options. You know, the last time we talked about this important area, the big discussion going on was about COVID-19. Has the COVID crisis in long-term care facilities passed or is it still with us? I would say it's mostly passed. We're certainly not having the same number of residents dying that we did before. And I think that was the most alarming part of all this. We, in California, within oh, about 18 months, we had 9,000 residents of nursing homes pass away from COVID-19. To give you some idea of, of how big that number is, uh, generally we have about 100,000 nursing home residents in California. So uh, 9,000 out of 100,000 is, is a pretty big number. Um, because we had a successful vaccination program in nursing homes, both for staff and for residents, uh, we're upwards somewhere around upper 80% to 90% of all residents and staff are vaccinated against COVID-19. We've seen the death numbers go way, way down, but COVID remains a significant concern. I checked the, the state data today and there's still 1,200 active COVID cases among residents and nursing homes. Again, this is out of a universe of about 100,000. So uh, 1% of nursing home residents uh, as of you know, last week had COVID-19. That's still a big number. So it's it's obviously a concern. And there's one nursing home um, where I get their COVID updates every week. They, I'm part of their mailing list. And I can see just how it just it's up and down and up and down. They're on a really on a roller coaster ride with COVID where every time a resident or a staff person tests positive, they have to go back into this um, remedial mode of vigilance testing and, and limiting the, um, the residents engagement with one another. And then, you know, there'll be two weeks where they're in the clear and they start activities again. And then, you know, someone tests positive and they got to go all back to it. So it's, it's certainly the crisis is not ended, but it's the, the acuity of it is significantly reduced. So there's good news and bad news. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden. Tonight, we're discussing nursing homes, assisted living, and other long-term care communities. Joining me tonight is Tony Chickatel from California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform a statewide organization that has been dedicated to improving the choices, care, and quality of life for consumers of long-term care for some 40 years. If you have questions for my guest, our phone number is 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866 866- we can't take your call tonight as this evening's broadcast is a rebroadcast of an earlier Your Legal Rights. Thank you. Seven nine eight eight two five five. As always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. In this case, any question on long-term care. You don't have to join us at the exact point we may be in our conversation. 
One thing noticeable is the life expectancy, which appears to have dropped since 2019 from 79 down to 76. That's a pretty significant drop. Do you have any information on what uh, might be behind that? Well, obviously, COVID-19 played a big role in that. and I, But I think it may be surprising to some folks that it wasn't just COVID-19 infecting people and, and killing them. It was the response to some extent that we had to COVID-19, the policies we put in place related to COVID-19 that I think um, led to a lot of premature deaths. And I'll expound on that a little bit. Uh, at least among nursing homes and assisted living facilities, the initial response was to isolate residents and cutting off all their visitation. And the idea was it was this would improve their safety and prevent COVID-19 from getting in buildings because uh, we knew that COVID had an outsized impact on people who were older and immunocompromised, which, you know, a lot of people that live in long-term care facilities. What we didn't know and what I personally didn't really appreciate until the pandemic was how invaluable visitors can be for long-term care facility residents. And I mean way beyond just the psychic, emotional uplift of having someone that you love come and see you and talk with you and spend time with you, but the direct provision of care that these family members give, uh, we had to relabel them from, from visitors to essential caregivers because that's what that's what they've proven to be. These were people who uh, very quietly and to, with little fanfare would go to facilities every day and feed their loved ones and make sure that their loved ones had all their care that provided. They were supplementing what was the care that was being provided by the, the paid staff. And oftentimes there were significant holes that these family caregivers were providing. So what we've seen, I've seen data that suggests that um, while lots of long-term care facility residents died of COVID, a whole lot of other unexpected deaths occurred. And I know that there was substantial weight loss on average in nursing homes. I looked at recent federal data that shows the percentage of residents in nursing homes that were reported to be malnourished. And it that rate has tripled since 2020. So we have, and it went from something like 6% to upwards of 20%. So almost one in five nursing home residents right now are malnourished, which is a euphemism, I think, for starving. And I think a lot of that is because we took away the policymakers, I think, in a, it was well-intentioned, but an awful policy of cutting people off from their loved ones. And it had this impact on leading to a lot of premature deaths in long-term care facilities. Let me turn it over to Ariana from Albany. Welcome Hi. to your legal rights, Ariana. Hi, thank you. Um, I This is for your um, visitors. I have no family, no partner, no children, uh, and not enough money for private care. So when I get to the age where I can't care for myself, what does your guest recommend? And then my second question is, boy, do we need reform <laughs> so-called nursing homes, which I believe are the same as SNFs, right? Yeah, nursing homes are often called SNFs, SNFs, which stands for skilled nursing facilities. Yeah, we use those terms interchangeably. 
So what do you recommend for someone like me, as I described, no family, no partner, no children, not enough money for private care? That's a tough one. Um, there are long-term care insurance policies available. I haven't, haven't mentioned them yet. I think for some folks in a small band of income uh, that's sort of you know middle middle class, long-term care insurance policies could make some sense where you're obviously you're paying in uh, a premium every month and, and hopefully if you do ever need long-term care, at least some of it's going to be covered by the policy. Um, but for a lot of people, long-term care insurance policies don't make a whole lot of sense because you're not going to get enough coverage to provide everything that you're going to need, assuming that you don't have anything to defray costs out of pocket. Um, and if you're not ultra wealthy, it's not all that difficult to get qualified for Medi-Cal and at least have nursing home coverage uh, if you ever need nursing home care. Um, I, for, I mean, I'm going to probably talk about this a little bit later, but the farther you get on the long-term care continuum, you know, from home care to assisted living to nursing homes, usually the more vulnerable you are to abuse and neglect. So nursing homes are probably the one kind of long-term care facility you most want to avoid if you can. Some people just simply can't avoid it, and we do the best we can to get the best quality of care there. Um, but you, you definitely don't want to have nursing home be your ultimate goal for long-term care. Um, you want to, I don't know, I think the best thing to do is to stay mentally sharp um, and, and maybe rely on some in-home care. In-home supportive services is a benefit. under If you qualify for Medi-Cal, you can qualify for in-home supportive services. Get those services in your home. Hopefully you won't need that much and it, and it won't be an issue. Um, but for some folks who really, truly have no one to take care of them, unfortunately, sometimes the answer is they're going to have to go to the hospital and then get into a nursing home through the Medicare program and end up staying long term. Are there entities around that can help somebody like Ariana to get in-home care? Um, I've heard of Onlook. Onlook, I don't know if that's an unusual one, if there's a lot of other volunteer-type agencies for assisting people in the home or maybe private facilities that'll yeah there, there's certainly resources i think the the primary one i would recommend are the caregiver resource centers there are a uh, somewhere about 12 to 15 caregiver resource centers scattered throughout the state they cover the entire state caregiver resource centers uh, get public funding and they're set up to be gateways for people who are grappling with how to cover care for a loved one or for yourself um, and that it's really meant to be very practical. So they'll give, um, they, for example, they have sample contracts for hiring a home caregiver. What, what do you want to cover in your contract with them? How do you deal with taxes if you're hiring them as an employee? Things like that. And I think they also make recommendations or at least can point to resources related to in-home care agencies in their community that might be available for folks or how to hire someone off of Craigslist, for example. Ariana, thank you for joining us. I hope that answered all your questions. Can I um, add one thing? You've suddenly gotten very, very faint. His, what he said reminded me of the Republicans' plan for health care, which is don't get sick. 
<laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for joining us in your legal rights. Okay. In, in the few seconds we have before we break for station ID, uh, you know, we've heard a lot in the news about these recent accidental deaths. And I guess my question for you is whether this is truly unusual um, that this was an emerging story coming up for a couple of weeks or is it a slow news day? I mean, how unique is this problem? Well, the, the circumstance of these deaths, which is a, a, a couple of residents in two different facilities, but with the same part of the same chain ingesting substances that killed them, it, that's unusual. This, the specificity and the weird coincidence of this same uh, chain having this problem in two weeks, that's really unusual. But what's not unusual are sort of the circumstances that would lead to those things, the the inattention of the staff that led to the residents ingesting these substances. Um, that's one of the one of the uh, things you want to be careful about in assisted living facilities, in particular is the training of the staff. Some facilities don't have very well, very trained staff. The, the training requirements are lower than what they are in nursing homes. Um, understaffing is a is a pervasive problem in all long-term care facilities. Just about every call, email we get about dissatisfied consumers relates to understaffing. Um, so those are things that consumers and family members need to be very cognizant of and constantly checking. Um, so there's, these are unusual events, but the, um, the fact that there were accidents, that's, that's very common, unfortunately. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. And again, you're listening to Your Legal Rights. Tonight, we're talking about nursing home, assisted living facilities, other long-term care communities. Joining me tonight is Tony Chicatel, And I've been asked to, again, give the name of it out, uh, state the name of the organization. I've had a listener ask. Uh, Tony is here from the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform, CANR, which is a statewide organization that has been dedicated to improving the choices the care and quality of life for consumers of long-term care for some 40 years. If you have questions for my guest, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. You have a question about long-term care, don't feel you have to jump right in on our conversation. Tony, I set aside until now the real question. We place great trust in long-term care facilities to take very good care of very vulnerable people. How can we be good consumers? How can we assure that the care our loved ones, or maybe even ourselves, that that will receive is really all that it should be? Yeah, I get this. Asked, I get asked this a lot about how do we find a good place? How do we 
make sure that our loved ones are getting the best care that they possibly can. Here's my general advice. Number one, third-party care, professional provision of care should be a last resort. And I mentioned this before. I just think pound for pound, people are going to get better care from the ones who love them as opposed to the ones that are that are paid to take care of them. And that's not to disparage what professional caregivers do because they do God's work and, and many of them are wonderful people. Um, but just the nature of providing care, it, it helps to have love be part of that um, process. Number two, stay in your home if you can, or stay in the, in the community that you know best and that, and that knows you best. Um, and again, this isn't available to everybody, but if, if you can stay home, most people just prefer to be home. That's where they're most comfortable. And it also, I think, gives people more control over the care they receive when it's, when people are coming into their, what's clearly their home. Um, and in long-term care facilities, people, even though we call them homes, a lot of times people don't feel of them and recognize them as their own homes. And they're not, I don't think they're as demanding as they normally would be in their own home or apartment. So um, try to stay in home if you can. And there's lots, lots of options. People oftentimes are calling me about nursing homes and I say, well, let's talk about the in-home options and they haven't really explored them yet. Um, so a lot of times that's an underutilized resource. And then number three, if, if you do need facility care, generally speaking, and I know this is real general and some people might disagree with me, but I think assisted living is generally better than nursing home care. And I think the big reason for that is because assisted living residents control the payment and the facilities are just more responsive because they know that the care that they give to this person is going to generally reflect on, on their revenue as opposed to nursing homes where the government's the payor and whether the care is great or terrible, the nursing home gets roughly the same revenue. Um, so the quality of care is oftentimes not really predicated on what the consumers want but usually by the leadership of the nursing home itself. So if you need to go into a facility, do your homework. There are, there's more information about the track records of these facilities than ever before. Uh, the, gov the state government, the federal government on nursing homes has lots of information about all the regulatory enforcement actions against facilities. You can find them pretty quickly. Uh, you can see now nursing homes are required to report their payroll data, which allows you to uh, figure out what their staffing levels are. You can compare all the nursing homes in California uh, by staffing level, which is usually a pretty good indicator of uh, the quality of care in a facility. That's all available to consumers now. You can see who owns these facilities on, the um, on a computer. That's really important. Uh, a lot of times, whether care is going to be good or bad is reflective throughout the chain. So if it's a good chain, chances are this facility that's part of that chain is going to provide good care. If it's a bad chain, the opposite is true. So do your homework. And then the last thing I would say on this is be present. The, the residents who get the best care in long-term care facilities are those that have family and friends present. Um, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's the families and friends that can advocate for better care for residents. Sometimes residents are certainly capable of advocating for their own uh, best interests, but a lot of times there's strength in numbers and family and friends are really important. And the 
the residents with the best outcomes are usually those that have robust visitation. You know, you touched on this earlier, but during the pandemic, many expressed frustration stemming from the inability to communicate with family members and particularly to visit them. And as you said earlier, that was well-intentioned, but in essence, disastrous. What's the current status of the visitation ban in most long-term care facilities? The news is good. Uh, There is no more visitation ban that pretty much ended. Well, it was gradual, but um, around a year ago, September of 2021, we started getting a, a pretty significant retreat on the lockouts in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. We still have flare-ups. The Omicron uh, surge in January led to some some pretty bad visitation restrictions again, but they were pretty short-lived. And as of right now, I I get very few complaints about visitation concerns in facilities. We still have facilities who are limiting hours illegally, limiting the number of visitors that can come in illegally. Um, But I think the vast majority of facilities are welcoming back visitors, and, and that's great news. Let me bring in Lee from Oakland. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi. Good evening. Hi, Lee. You're on the air. Welcome. Lee, I don't know if you can still hear us. Please feel free to call us back uh, if if we can get a better connection. But let me turn it to Karen in Albany. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi. Can you hear me? We hear you fine. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. Hi. Um, so the last advice about doing your homework and all that, that's a good advice. However, um, is there any way that you can, um, on the website, put down the names and numbers and contacts for the ombudsman and all the people that can help? Because a lot of people, when they get to the point where they need care, they just don't have the capacity to deal with all the bureaucracy to, you know, to get the best care. And especially to follow up once they're in the wrong place. Yeah. So if there's a way to, you know, direct us towards a website or a list of, you know, really good um, advocates, that would be great. Well, I will say this, Tony, if you could pass that information on to me, I will attach it to this program's, uh, this particular broadcast site on the station website. So when people look at this program, the the numbers will be there. Um, And I know from my own experience, most counties have a county ombudsman program that you can look up through Catholic Charities. And they do exactly that type of work is to volunteer and look, do some of the legwork. But I'm sure Tony has uh, better options. One of them is Tony's organization, which is uh, the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. You can find them online at www.canhr.org. Can you you add that to the list? I will put that on the list. I will put that on the... uh, 10 places list that you can put on the website, on your website. Or better still, I will put this information on the website, and when you call 
the California advocates, whether you reach them online or you call them, they can give you the, a much greater list than I can put on the website. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. Did, and, and before you go, Tony, do you want anything to add? I didn't mean to uh, yeah, take over uh, that call. If you'll indulge me in a little self-promotion, the Canner website is really set up to be a clearinghouse for consumers of long-term care in California. We have roughly 80 fact sheets on all elements of long-term care, from paying for it to in-home options to dealing with nursing home problems. Uh, it's really set up to be to provide a ton of information to consumers, and um, I, I recommend you check out our website. And, of course, if you have any questions after reviewing any of the information, feel free to give us a call or send us an email um, through the website, and we, we are happy. We have advocates here who are happy to take calls from consumers and try to guide them into whatever problem they have with long-term care. That's our job. Great. Thank you so much. Karen, thank you for joining us in your legal rights. Bye. And I guess the next question, and it may dovetail pretty well with what Karen was asking, but if you have a parent or other family member or loved one in a facility where others have become ill or even died, what other options might be available for them? This is a dilemma, and it's a tough one when we get calls like this where people are, t- are describing basically a very bad situation in a facility and they're, and they're worried. They, they think it's maybe a dangerous place to be. The dilemma is you got two choices and neither one is very good. You could stay and push for better care. And, 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 and that might, you know, you worry about retaliation in that situation. You worry about the, the ability of the facility to, to actually improve the delivery of care. The other option, of course, is to transfer, to, to go somewhere else. And that can be very difficult um, for people who aren't significantly disabled and need long-term care. Um, just the, the physical moving is, is a problem and maybe lining up the, the payment to do it. But then it's also can be traumatic, especially for people with cognitive disabilities to, to have to reorient to a whole bunch of new caregivers and a new environment. Uh, so we have this... Um, concern of transfer trauma, which is a very real thing that oftentimes causes significant harm and even death for folks. I would, I would more lean into the pushing back, pushing for better care. What I tell people all the time is long-term care providers are people who are paid to care. They should be really good at caring and somebody who is amenable to being, to, to work with uh, on improving care. So, if you go to the administration, the leadership of a facility and say, I, I've got these concerns about my loved one's care, you, I would expect that they'd be responsive. Otherwise, they should be in a different line of work because this line of work should always be about putting the, the resident front and center and making their experience the best one possible. They're professional caregivers. They should care. Um, and if if they're not responsive, then I think that's a huge red flag and and that's when you have to consider either bringing a regulatory agency, uh, maybe even consulting with an attorney, or uh, considering other options in terms of moving somewhere else. Karen, if you're still listening, I have placed that information on the website. It's there now, and it will stay there forever. Uh, let me turn it to Marie from Saratoga. Welcome to your legal rights. 
Hi, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say is uh, a couple of years ago, my husband and my mother both at the same time had different surgeries in different hospitals. One at El Camino, one at Stanford. And they both got recommended to go to the same place in Sunnyvale. And this place was absolutely horrific. Uh, my mother needed to have ice, and so I said, I need a bag for the ice. The guy went to the bottom of the garbage can and said, here's the bags we use. I said, what? You're going to pull a plastic bag out of a garbage can at the bottom of the garbage can, and that's how you get your, 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 uh, your uh, uh, ice bag? And uh, it, it got worse. My mother was in pain, and they go, we think she, she, the mother's crying all the time. We think she needs to be on antidepressants. I said, she's in pain. My husband, his, his wound site was getting infected. So I got it out of there within 70, within 24 hours. I, I got it at the place. I got him out of there. They got better care. So, the, and I, so I, I was wondering why was Stanford and El Camino Hospital both recommending the same place? It was really bad. So I contacted Medicare and had an investigation. Medicare never called my mother or my husband. Never did anything. And some of the complaints that were on the Medicare site from a, from a year ago were still a problem. So there, there is a, there, 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 there is there, there's scams going on. You know, there really are. So I complained to Stanford and El Camino, saying that you both expected the same place, and it was a little toilet of a facility. Anyway, I put, it on, I put it on Yelp. That's all I could do. Anyway, I just want to make that comment. No, I appreciate those comments, and hopefully there's better information available to help make a better choice. But I understand uh, that a lot of times when people are leaving the hospital, they don't necessarily have access to the best of information, and they're out there often in a position where they have to act rather rapidly. Uh, Tony, do you have any places where somebody could go maybe to get a better response? Yeah, well, I'll mention that a a large number of folks who enter into long-term care facilities come through the hospital first. That's sort of their gateway into the long-term care system or at least long-term care facilities. And, and, there's a couple things that sort of mark a hospital to long-term care facility transfer. Number one is, is it's hurried. Hospitals typically get paid upfront a, an amount that's based on the diagnosis. And every day that that patient sticks around is costing the hospital more money. They could, they want to turn that bed over and get a new person in there with a new diagnosis and get that upfront money. Um, so hospitals, often lead patients and their family members into thinking that they don't have much time. You have a day or two, you got to pick a place, they got to go. One of the most important services I play, I think, for a lot of folks in that situation is I assure them that they have more time than they think. A hospital is not going to put wheel someone out to a curb, although that has happened occasionally. It's very rare. They're not going to move someone out to the curb and, and kick them out. They're going to have to just continue to provide care until you select what you think is the the most appropriate place for your loved one to go next. Um, You have time. You have to push for time and tell the hospital they have to cool their heels. I let people know all the time that moving from a hospital to a long-term care facility is a medical decision, and that's in the control of the patient. uh, Hospitals are service providers. They do not control where the patient goes next. People need to feel empowered that this is their decision and they alone will make it after a reasonable amount of time to deliberate. And hospitals will not have, oftentimes will not have a long list of facilities for someone to go to. Sometimes they have contracts with particular providers and those contracts with those providers are based on providing a very low cost service. And sometimes that low cost is uh, is related to uh, poor quality. So 
do your homework. And, and what I mean by that is, is get online. And if you need to call Canner, um, our, our staff are, are happy to go through the process with people in terms of how to deal with the hospital and also what to look for in a good long-term care facility. Um, what you, and it's really hard to identify what facilities are, are good until you've actually been there and seen the care that they're providing, but you can certainly rule out the bad ones uh, through just an online search. Maria, I hope that gave you some peace. Thank you for joining us in your legal rights. There's efforts afoot, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of things about some more recent initiatives, but there's efforts afoot to provide immunity from civil and criminal criminal liability for care providers. What are some of the good and bad points about that? <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to give you any good points in providing immunity. Uh, and and I'm not aware of any recent efforts. The, we really dodged a bullet in early 2020 during the beginning of the pandemic. There was a move to get the governor to give immunity to long-term care providers for basically any neglect that they committed uh, during the pandemic because they were so overwhelmed that they couldn't provide good care. Uh, fortunately, Governor Newsom did not grant that immunity, although that immunity was sought and provided in a, a large number of other states. Um, I know New York State has tried to um, pull that back, claw that back, um, what Governor Cuomo had done out there. Um, I think liability or immunity from liability is, is a pretty horrible idea. I will say that we talked about the Department of Public Health, Department of Social Services, the government agencies, even the DA and the AG being interested in enforcement in facilities. But I will tell you there is no better arm of enforcement in California than our civil litigators in terms of long-term care facility quality of care. Um, I work a lot with these litigators and I know how much time and effort they put into their cases. And it's not just getting recovery for victims of horrible abuse or neglect. Oftentimes they get court orders that in include injunctive relief and include forcing facilities to put structures in place to ensure that poor quality of care is not going to happen again, at least for the next several years. So um, the, the civil prosecution of elder abuse and neglect and resident rights violations in nursing homes by civil attorneys is one of the best weapons we have to keep the, to keep quality of care relatively high. Let me turn it back to Lee in Oakland. Welcome back to your legal rights. Hi, good evening. Um, my question concerns the rising cost of uh, long-term care insurance. Uh, I've had a policy for about 18 years, and it was the same price, about $2,200 a year. And then a year after I retired, two years ago, it doubled. And I'm wondering, is there – and now I think, you know, well, they want me to quit because now that I'm older, I could be a real liability for them. Uh, do you see any, anything legal about the way long-term policies can be hiked up like that? Yeah, you're not alone with that that problem and i um that's not one of my areas of specialty but i will tell you that there are some folks that we work with on long-term care insurance policies and if you want to give us a call at canner california advocates for nursing reform i can refer you to them um, and 
and they can analyze whether the, the premium increases were legal or not. Oh, okay, I, I definitely will, will do that. Thank you. Thank you, Leif. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. As a society, we've done a pretty poor job planning and anticipating the needs of older people in their declining years and providing adequate care. And that's somewhat alarming in, by, in that by 2030, 10.8 million Californians will be older adults of fully a quarter of the state's population. Governor Newsom signed an executive order in 2019 calling for the creation of a master plan on aging. What's your opinion on that? Have you looked into that at all, the initiative and the plan that followed? Yeah, we were consulted sort of loosely on the master plan on aging. It was uh, it was a welcome effort at the state level to start thinking comprehensively about aging in California. And I think that um, what what they put what they came up with, the, primarily the Department of Aging, is a good document. It's a good plan. Unfortunately, not a lot of it touches on long-term care, and I think that it was somewhat of a missed opportunity for major reform for long-term care. Uh, But I think some of that's been remedied by the pandemic, oddly enough, and that all the attention, especially that the media had on what was going on in long-term care facilities led to some significant reform in Sacramento. Uh, We had um, a real good year in the legislature last year and there's been a couple of good bills this year um, that we probably wouldn't have gotten introduced and passed uh, prior to the pandemic but i i I think there's still a lot more planning that needs to be done the master plan on aging i don't think is a is a document that's set in concrete i think it needs to be a living breathing document that we continue to to uh, revise as needed but yeah, it's um, it's it's getting increasingly hot uh, as it relates to aging issues because we have an aging population. We have fewer and fewer people, as a, as relatively speaking, to take care of them. We just have smaller families. People are having fewer kids. I think there's more dislocation where people are moving out of state and leaving families behind. Uh, California's. I'm, I'm from a different state. I think lots of people in California are from different states. So it's going to be tough to provide enough care, and and I'm I'm a little worried that we may not be up to it. I guess before, we're just about the end of the hour, and I did want to ask you, what does the future of long-term care look like after the age of COVID? Well, I don't think it's on a significantly different trajectory than it was prior to the pandemic, but I think it's been maybe accelerated a bit. Um, I've always said that I think the nursing home model is a dying model. I think it's a dying a very, very slow death. But if you look at it, California has had roughly the same number of nursing homes for 30 years, despite the fact that the population has grown and the population of aged and disabled adults has really grown. But despite that, we still have roughly the same number of nursing homes. So as a percentage of the population the per capita basis, nursing homes are shrinking in California. I think more and more people are trying to do everything they can, rightfully so, to avoid ending up in a nursing home, at least long term. The assisted living model, I think, is is a superior model for a, a few different reasons. And I think um, as a state, we are slowly but surely spending more money on in-home care, home and community-based care than in institutional models like nursing homes. So I think 
the future is, is I think, brighter. I don't think it's particularly bright, but brighter than it is now, where we'll have more in-home care available to folks and less institutional care. Well, we've reached the end of the hour, and I wanted to give you another 90 seconds or so for any last words or advice you might have to pass along. Yeah, um, and thanks for this opportunity, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll say that speaking very broadly about long-term care, family is the difference oftentimes for people. And it's not just for family members to provide care, but family members to take the lead in some cases on making sure that older adults have a plan, that they they have the wherewithal to get long-term care if they need it and to know what their options are. And I mentioned this before in the context of hospital discharges, but this applies to really all elements of long-term care when you're talking about choices, is to try to slow things down. Nursing homes, assisted living facilities, hospitals, care providers, try to speed things up. And and oftentimes it's, you know, in service of, of dollars and profit. Slow things down, shop very carefully, do not accept poor care. Um, double check, triple check these facilities, be there, be present, trust your instincts. Um, a lot of people are, they're new at consuming long-term care. They don't know if this is the right thing or the wrong thing, or this is the industry standard. Trust your instincts. If, if the care doesn't seem quite right, talk about it, raise your voice, be an advocate, uh, be the squeaky wheel. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. Our guest tonight has been Attorney Tony Chickatel from California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. I've put their contact information on the KALW website for those that are in need. Tony, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And Your Legal Rights returns next week with an updated look at cryptocurrency. And best of all, we take your calls and answer your questions. A big thanks to our guests for joining us. It's been a most enlightening and actually a cause for concern, but it seems that that concern is getting a bit better. Especially our thanks to all of you for listening in. And at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Be safe and have a good night. KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.